going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. We are getting closer and closer to Christmas. So this week, we'll have some fun conversations about the holidays. Today, we'll highlight the work of the drop-in center and the preparations for that massive meal they have every year. We'll also talk fresh and real Christmas tree care. But we'll start off with the serious news of the day, particularly the downtown rally for the province's energy industry. All right, let's get right into it. Like I said, what one of the things that I love doing on this show is giving you the opportunity to hear the full context behind some of the audio that you hear in the newscasts and some of the things that are, are really percolating in our community. And one of those things that has been uh, talked about ad nauseum, I think, is uh, pipelines, the relationship that we have with our uh, senior levels of government, both in, in Edmonton and in Ottawa. And... I don't disagree with the notion that we are in, I, I don't want to call it a, uh, i trying to think of the, the right verbiage, I guess, is we're not an identity crisis. I don't want to call it that. But at the same time, we as Canadians have not, I don't remember a time where we've been so pointing fingers at one another trying to determine whose who's fault it is and that kind of thing. And the one problem that I've had with this whole debate and whole discussion about pipelines and oil sands and energy and that is vision. It's a word that you're going to hear me talk about over and over and over again, only because I believe the true leaders have a vision. Fake leaders are the ones who point fingers and say, we're just not the other guys, especially when it comes to politics. We need someone to outline, hey, here's what this is going to look like, not just by the end of our term in office, but also 20 years from now, 40 years from now. Here's what we aspire to be. And I failed to hear that on a lot of fronts. And that's why I think we're seeing this uprising in Alberta of, hey, we need some kind of guidance, some kind of, hey, here's our North Star. Here's what's going to happen when... Push comes to shove. Here's what we should aspire to be. And you can hear the frustration in the voices of those who were at City Hall during the noon hour today during a pro-pipeline rally. And like I said, you heard from Cody Battershelf with uh, Canada Action uh, earlier on today with Gordon Sue. And over the noon hour, you heard some uh, speakers, including Mayor Nahed Nenshi, talking about why this is such an important issue and for a little bit of context here's clip number one that i'm going to play of you uh, for you of what the mayor had to say from the podium it's right for the province it's right for the country and it's right for the world but our job folks our job is to continue to change minds one at a time it's important for us to remember that standing up for canadian energy is not a partisan issue. It's important for us to remember that standing up for Canadian energy doesn't mean we don't believe in and care about climate change. That standing up for Canadian energy doesn't mean we don't believe in a respectful relationship. Well, you know, for those of you who are saying, no, I don't believe in climate change, good luck changing hearts and minds. Because we have to be able to say that there is no difference between standing up for the economy 
and standing up for the environment. We can do both, and that's what people in the oil and gas sector do every single day. We can also say that we believe passionately, passionately in good futures for our indigenous brothers and sisters and for their rights to self-determination. And that's what people in Canadian energy do every single day. Because ultimately, the women and men who go to work every day whether they wear suits and pumps and work in the buildings downtown, or whether they wear high-vis vests and hard hats and steel toes and, and access to safe, clean, affordable energy. So a couple of takeaways. One, shocker, booing. Whether or not you agree, uh, believe in climate change or not, I think is a moot point. Because if you're going to win hearts and minds, as, as the mayor does say, you have to convince people outside of your own echo chamber that this is the way to go. And if you continue, and one of the things that happened is, is Nancy says he was asked by organizers to speak in French because then he could reach a different crowd. And what ends up happening? He gets booed for it. You know what's going to be the headline in some Montreal and Quebec City newspapers tomorrow? Not the fact that, hey, Albertans are trying to stand up for their oil industry. It's the fact that you booed them. And... You can boo the government in Quebec because let's face it, the, the premier of Quebec isn't backing down from his co recent comments. But if you want to win again, the, the, the hearts and minds thing I really like for that fact is if you plan on making any kind of change in the mentality of those who are outside of our borders, you have to speak reasonably with them. And so far, the only thing that really grabs attention is when some couple decides to walk up with idiotic T-shirts, one including hanging the prime minister. That's what gets headlines. So you got to go at it with a different tune and a different tone. Here's another little bit of a longer clip here from what the mayor had to say. This isn't about we're mad at you. This is about we need you to help understand, we need you to understand how important the work we do every day is for the Canadian economy and for the environment. We believe in preserving the environment and we believe in safe, clean, affordable energy at the highest standards in the world. And that is something that I think that every single Canadian can support. This isn't about, in, this isn't about entitled Albertans and their big trucks, though we like our big trucks. <laughs> It is about doing what's right. It's about doing what's right for Canada. It's about doing what's right for the world. And make no mistake, here in Calgary, things are not great. Look around you at all these beautiful office towers. One out of four of them is empty. Our unemployment rate after many, many, many years of being the lowest in Canada is now the highest of any major city in Canada. Trudeau, don't give it it's two points above even what it is in Edmonton. And it's important for us to recognize and help the rest of Canada recognize that this is an issue that's impacting every single Calgarian. Doesn't matter if you work in oil or gas or not, it impacts every single one of us every single day. And fundamentally, you can't have a strong Canadian economy if you don't have a strong Alberta economy. And you can't have a strong Alberta economy if you can't have a strong Alberta economy 
is you don't have a strong Calgary economy. And that's the important thing that we got to do. We got to keep working on every level and every lever. I love when I came out here, we weren't chanting build that pipe, which we need to do, but we were chanting build our future. Because that's what we're talking about. When we talk about that three foot pipe, we're not talking about, oh, I talk to him all the time. And we're not talking about, why do you think you paid $4.6 billion on that pipeline? We talk a lot. So we're not talking about a three foot pipe that is bearing all the sins of the Canadian economy. We're talking about an ability for Canada to diversify its markets, to make some money, but also to show the world how you can extract energy responsibly. That's really what this is all about. Because folks, it is insanity for us to take a non-renewable resource and sell it at a giant discount into the world market. That cannot happen. It cannot happen anymore. And we have to show the world that yes, climate change is real, yes, transitions are happening in terms of energy, but ethical, powerful, safe, clean, convenient Canadian energy has to be the last barrel of oil out, not the first barrel of oil out. We are not being Boy Scouts here. We are absolutely building the best energy system in the world, and that is something we have to be proud of. Now. That, of course, the mayor speaking at the rally downtown today. A lot to digest again, but it, I find it annoying. We'll call it that. In terms of even when you have someone speaking for you, there are certain people in that crowd that are still booing and still heckling. You might have an ally and yet that ally is going to get real tired of that too. Again, I go back to we can have a civil discussion and a rational and reasonable discussion about this without going back to name calling and that kind of thing because you know what? That, that doesn't win over anybody. Right now, we need more friends than we have right now. Here's a challenge for everyone. Instead of name-calling, booing, etc., etc., that clearly is winning over all the hearts and minds of this country, why don't you use the facts laid out by the mayor in terms of how clean our energy really is? Why don't you lay out the facts for all of your Facebook friends, your Twitter followers, etc., about how much better the energy industry is here compared to, I don't know, Venezuela or any other country for that matter. Why don't we shout from the rooftops once in a while at how good we're actually being here? Because it's been fascinating over my, my tenure as a reporter and as a news director here has been the discussion around the, the energy industry in this, and it's even beyond that. Look at how we continually call it the energy industry here. Remember when it was just oil sands versus tar sands? Like we managed to change the rhetoric and the change the the terminology just off that. No different than when I was talking last week about enter, uh, event center versus arena. We changed the dynamic on that front in the last five six years, and it took the. I think the industry really played a big part in that is now it feels as though we've been 
pulling back in a sense and resting on our laurels. If we're going to win over the hearts and minds in BC and Ontario and Quebec, we have to go at it differently. We can't just do the same thing that we have been doing over the last few months here because it's clearly not working. And I go back to, I just did a quick scroll through some of the major media outlets in Toronto and Ontario and Toronto and Montreal in particular. And I guarantee you, today's rally was nowhere on anybody's agenda. So we have to start talking with them. We can't start or we can't keep talking at them because that that way has not worked. And if we're depending on on a select few with high profiles to talk down to our fellow Canadians, it's not going to go so well. And I know that there's going to be a lot, well, we were supposed to get social license. We didn't get social license. Okay. So what are we doing to make this work? To go back to my original point, what is our vision? What is our future in this industry? And can we clearly articulate it in a way that will make sense to everyone so that we can get everyone on board? Because if we don't, we're going to be talking in our echo chambers and we're going to get nothing accomplished. And then we're going to be sitting here in a year's time after the next federal election, banging our heads against a wall going, what happened? So bloody frustrating. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. We are getting just a little bit closer to Christmas. Yes, a lot of people celebrating. A lot of people getting ready for some downtime, some holiday time maybe. I know a few people are heading elsewhere, maybe to warmer climates, although it's pretty warm here. I don't know about the rest of you. I mean, it could be minus 30 right now. Just saying. Uh, And so over the course of the next week or so, we'll be broadcasting right up until Christmas Eve. We'll have a Christmas Eve show, and then we'll come back for the 27th, 28th. In the next few days here, what I want to do is uh, throw a spotlight on, and we started this late last week as well, I want to throw a spotlight on some of the, the neat stories, some of the cool stories, some of the feel-good stories around Christmas time, and, and those highlighting some of those who are going above and beyond for their community, highlighting some of those who are doing fun things. I, I use the example of the uh, lightenupcalgary.ca story that we talked about on Friday where it's, hey, if you want to go do a tour of Christmas lights, why not check out this website as the example. Today, one of the things that you hear in the news over the over the course of the Christmas break is around uh, the city's homeless population and the efforts that are made to make sure that those who are without a home have somewhere to go, have somewhere where they can have some food, have some sustenance heading into the Christmas break and feel like they're a part of the community. And one of the guys who is in charge of that effort at the Calgary Drop-In Center is kitchen manager and chef Glenn Pereira, who is already down to the nitty-gritty in terms of getting that uh, meal underway he joins us now on the program glenn uh, thanks for your time today thank you 
Let's talk about the feasts that you prepare. How long does it take you to kind of prepare that menu and get things all ready to go come December 25th? So we've been planning now for like we've been uh, planning two weeks out. So we made the menu for a couple of weeks now. So we know what are the big uh, turkey meal and, you know, the big meals that are sponsored. So we've been... uh, We've been preparing from like two weeks now, getting all the turkeys cooked, because it takes about three days for us to make one turkey meal at the drop-in center. Unreal. It takes us about 40 11-pound birds to feed about 800 to 1,200 people. Unreal. Talk about that preparation. Yeah. Yeah. So we cook it from frozen overnight in the fancy-dancy rational ovens that we have. And about eight birds fit in each oven. So it takes us roughly about three days for all the turkeys to be done for one meal. Talk a little bit about some of the sides and the preparation work that goes into what you guys are doing there as well. For sure. We have a multitude of uh, volunteers that help. And so we put them to work as well. They help us with, you know, breaking the turkeys apart once they're cooked overnight. The next day there'll be a group. They'll come in and help us with, you know, tearing down the turkeys, keeping the dark meat from the white meat. We'll put it all together in pans, ready to go for for a meal. Then we'll save the bones for a turkey stock, you know, to make a lovely gravy. I think we can say that we have one of the best gravies in the city. You should come and try it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm tempted now. You're, I'm already drooling you know, just then, a little. So a turkey meal, you need at least 12 volunteers to actually serve the meal. So you have... One person serving the dark meat and the white meat. Then you have the next one serving the mashed potato, the next one serving the vegetables, the next one serving the uh, the stuffing, the next one serving the cranberry sauce. So there's six elements to this meal. And it's quite intensive, but, you know, we get a meal put out in less than an hour and we'll feed about 1,200 people. How much of a well-oiled machine does it have to be to be able to fork out that much food in such a short amount of time? Uh, It's all about preparation. And I did not invent this system. I inherited this system. So, (laughs) you know, I I can't take any credit for it. I'm just keeping it going. And why fix it if it ain't broke? No, absolutely. It's one of those things that, you know, over the years, having been a reporter and that kind of thing and, and covering the these kinds of meals, is what really goes into it is that there's a lot of preparation, obviously, but yeah. it's also a lot of love in a sense, too, right? Like there's that aspect of knowing that it needs to be just right. Yes, you're right. And, you know, in all honesty, we can't just do it ourselves. You know, there's so many partners that help us in making this all work together. So we have... The food bank is a big player in this, you know, shout out to them for all the stuff that they've helped us out over the years and are still helping us. You know, if it wasn't for them, we probably would not get a lot of beautiful produce and stuff like that that we could not buy Mm -hmm. because it's just too expensive. You know how the price of groceries are nowadays. Yeah. You know, so and with tight budgets, it makes it really impossible to do anything good for the clients if we don't have the food bank as one of our big partners. So. What got you involved six and a half years ago? Honestly, I was working at a hotel that the Calgary Drop-In Center bought out. Okay. And this was about going back six and a half years. You must have heard of the airliner, the old airliner, which is now part of the Drop-In Center. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, slated for future development as a low-cost housing, right? So, you know, I was the chef there, and uh, it went into receivership, and the next thing you know, 
the drop-in center bought out the hotel. So I was like, okay, there goes my job. I don't have one now. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be working at, I'm a hotel guy, not a not-for-profit kind of guy. Right. And then I decided, okay, I got to do something with my life. And this is an opportunity that has actually hit me in the face. So rather than run from it, I said, okay, let me see what I can do. I'll give it three months. And if it doesn't work out and if it's that, that's something that I don't want to do, then I'll move on. Mm-hmm. And that three months has been about six and a half years ago, so I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look back on it, uh, what does it mean to you to be giving back to the community and, and helping out those uh, less fortunate? Actually, I don't see it that way. I get more than I give. You know, um, it has given me a sense of purpose in life. It has given me uh, more than I can say that I've given back. You know what I mean? A lot of people say I want to give back. I'm selfish. I take more than I give. Mm. And this job has given me that opportunity to find myself sometimes. You know, you you want to do some good in life and uh, you realize that not everybody has an opportunity like I did. So I'm taking it rather than, you know, and in the mean, in the process, if I can make somebody happy and somebody, you know, like in my culture, my mom would always ask, have you eaten yet? Not how are you? or How was your journey? You know, so that is the first thing that has always stuck with me is, you know, you look at clients and you want to feed them. You want to make them feel happy because once your stomach is full, I think all your other worries kind of tend to be minimized. Right. Some good food for thought there, Glenn. Thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Nice talking to you. Glenn Pereira is the kitchen manager and chef at the Calgary Drop-In Center. A fun conversation there. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Loved seeing some of the posts on Facebook and Twitter over the weekend of some old friends from down south going out to the mountains and finding themselves a nice brand new, well, not necessarily brand new, but a new to them tree for the Christmas season. And with some tips maybe on how to make sure that tree is looking tip top heading into next week, we welcome Merle Coombs from Spruce It Up Garden Center. Of course, Let's Talk Gardening. Merle, thanks for coming on. Anytime, Joe. How are you? Fantastic. And it's getting a little closer to Christmas now, which is never a bad thing. When it comes to proper care for those new trees, those ones that are just fresh cut, you have any best practices in mind? The, the main thing is, is the fresh cut is the big thing. If, you, just if you're going to a tree lot or, like you were saying, friends of yours went out to the mountains to pick up a, a tree, it's doing a fresh cut within sort of four to six hours of when you're setting it up. And then at that point is making sure that there's enough water all the time, like a good reservoir. Mm-hmm. I had one of our clients text me, showed me a picture. He's, he was drinking, his tree was drinking two liters a day. So a fair bit of water going into that tree. Is there a best time of day to be watering or does it really matter? <laughs> no, just keep your reservoir full um, <laughs> for the most part. You just don't want it to dry up for any length of time just because it, it, it'll seal back up right and so you just want to keep the capillaries open and keep it drinking that's going to be your biggest number one thing when it's as warm as it is we haven't necessarily needed to go out and and you know blast the heat or turn on the fireplace much at all but i'm wondering is it would it be prudent to expose it to some fresh air every so often while it's getting watered 
at this point, Joe, it, it, it's fine. It's it's come back in the house. It's happy. It feels some warmth. It feels like it's coming back to life. So actually, it's still a living thing. So that's why it starts drinking so much water. If it's a nice fresh tree, and then it it just saying, hey, it's warm. It's summertime again. I'm going. I'm going to start drinking water. And so fresh air is enough. Put the oxygen in your house and all that. You're totally fine. The biggest thing, keep it away from the heat vents. Mm-hmm. If you do have one, I would cover it up with either duct tape or a mat or something like that. Don't put your tree right over top of a heat vent coming in so it's going to dry your tree out. When it comes to poinsettias and other flowers that we have around, are there any tips, the same kind of thing, I assume, is make sure they're watered, that kind of thing? Yeah, the main thing with poinsettias, though, is they're all, they're like a cactus. They're part of the succulent family, and they, okay. they, they like to run a little bit drier. And the, you know how they always come in the nice foil around the pot? Mm-hmm. You're always best to take it out of that when you water so it doesn't sit in water. Poinsettia, okay. one of the fastest way to kill it is let it sit in water like that. And what happens is they start to droop. And so people think that they're dry, so they add more water in there. Right. And I've seen more soggy poinsettias than usually I've seen dried out ones. So. Unreal. When it comes to uh, pets in particular, are there any uh, surefire ways of making sure they don't topple over a tree or anything? Do those those repellents actually work? Yeah, there is a couple like Keep Off My Tree or Baldax that work. But I think a little bit of it is it just being uh, a little bit prudent on a little bit of training on that. Just mm-hmm. saying, hey. Hey, hey, doggy, stay <laughs> off my tree or whatever, right? It's, it, if you let it go a bit, they're going to think it's cute, and then you're going to have that the best of YouTube video with you if you're filming <laughs> it when it's happening, when it's taking down your 10-foot tree. So. If, if, you're, if you're already taping it, it's probably, I, look at me, go taping, good grief. If you're putting it on your phone, uh, it's probably not a good sign anyways. You're already plotting for disaster. So some good food for thought there from Earl Coombs uh, from Spruced Up Garden Center. Of course, Let's Talk Gardening as well. Merle, as always, a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.